Dear Heavenly Father, our mighty fortress, you are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You are the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? Father, we would pray at the opening of this camp and this service that this week the enemy would be thoroughly defeated, beginning with the enemy of our souls, Satan, who would seek that none would repent, and who would have it that we as believers would be lukewarm. But we also pray that the enemies of depression or discouragement or fatigue or discord would also be soundly defeated this week. Lord, we know that you are greater than all enemies. And so we appeal to you this evening and ask that you would help us to remember and focus upon just one thing. Lord, teach us tonight what is that one thing. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. What is the one thing that defines your life? Above all else, what is the one thing? I don't mean what is on your list of important things. Or even what is at the top of that list. I mean what is the one thing that belongs and is on a list all by itself. I'd like to give you three examples from the recent newspaper. The first one shows a man whose one thing it is to visit all of the company-owned Starbucks in the United States and Canada. And so he has visited 2,900 out of the 3,400 company-owned Starbucks in the United States. It's really difficult because they keep adding new ones and he's got to circle back and pick up the ones that, that he already went through that city. And he has a website and he's out there appealing for funds. He's unemployed. He wants someone to sponsor him. It's kind of incredulous that the one thing for this person is to visit all the Starbucks in the United States and Canada. Another, perhaps better example in the news. Many of us might be bicycling fans. We see Lance Armstrong, as we speak, out there attempting to add the, his fourth title of the best bicycling event in the world, the, the Tour de France, to his list of accomplishments. That's the one thing for Lance Armstrong, winning the bicycle race. We can admire him in a way because of all that he's overcome, including what should have been a fatal cancer. He even lives in the mountains of France so he can be there to tour for his specialty, the mountains. Another example of somebody who has one thing is Peter Drucker. Some of you might recognize that name, the management guru. Peter Drucker, I didn't realize, is 92 years old. And he said, you know, I've cut back on my work. 
I only work 12 hours a day now. I used to work 18. And I work seven days a week. I only work six now. My knees aren't good. My eyesight isn't so good. So I don't travel as much either. In fact, I give a lot of conferences using video conferencing. He says, good thing I'm married to a, a wife who's a workaholic also, so we can get along. The one thing for Peter Drucker is to give advice and consult on management and business. And so is what is the one thing for you and for me? I'd like to read our theme chapter, Psalm 27, and see what that one thing was for David. And really, what does God say is the one thing? The 27th Psalm. The Bible reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. What's the one thing? It's not family. It's not a career. It's not money. It's not experiences. It's not having a good time. It's not doing great things for people. The one thing is the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Seeking after him. What did David say in verse 4? One thing have I desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell 
in the house of the Lord. He wanted to be with the Lord. It's not the house of the Lord that he was interested in. It's the Lord of the house. He wanted to be with his Lord. And he adds to that, to behold the beauty of the Lord. He wanted to see. We can't appreciate beauty unless we can see it. He wanted to be with his Lord. He wanted to see his Lord. And lastly, in that verse, and to inquire in his temple. Remember, David came before the temple. They were still using the tent, the tabernacle. The temple came with Solomon. It's not the temple that he cared about. His inquiry in the temple. It was to pray, to talk with God. David's desire was to be with his Lord, to see his Lord, to talk with his Lord. And he said, that I will seek after. Another example, in Philippians 3. You may wish to turn, Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul, he was a worker. He was a busy guy. He had a lot going on. And when he wrote of his troubles, he said, with outward fightings, with inward fears, that he was pressed on all sides. And he says, not even to mention the care of all the churches. Yet what was this one thing for the Apostle Paul? Look at verse 8. He says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. It's interesting. He's willing to give up all things. He's willing to lose all things for one thing. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. My Lord. That's all that mattered. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus. Not head knowledge. Heart knowledge, life knowledge. And in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to experience the sufferings that he experienced. I want to be made conformable to his death. And he acknowledged, I'm not there, he says in 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow. I'm not there yet. I haven't attained to it, he says. But listen and look in verse 12. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended. And verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. But look what it says. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, reaching forth to those things that are ahead, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus I press towards the mark. What's the mark? Jesus. 
I press towards the mark of the prize. What's our prize? Jesus. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling. What's our high calling? Jesus. That's the one thing. Another example. Look in Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. The familiar story of Mary and Martha. Beginning in 38 through 42, we know the story. Jesus is on his way, and it says, As he came to pass as they went, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Martha was busy. She had work to do. There was food to prepare. After all, Jesus was in the house. Maybe he would lodge there. There's beds to prepare. She had things to get done. The Bible says she was cumbered about much serving. And she came and complained, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Lord, she's just sitting there and I'm doing all the work. I'm working for you. And she's just sitting there. And Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, brother, brother, sister, sister, thou art careful about many things. You've got a lot of things that are important to you. But what does Jesus say? But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that part, that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The one thing that Mary chose was to be with Jesus, to be at his feet, to hear his word. Back to Psalms 27. There's three aspects of this one thing that I see in the life of David that I'd like to comment on. Two of them are in verse 4, one in verse 11. Their desire, seeking, and teaching. He says, one thing have I desired. It all starts with desire. Desire must be number one. Whatever is our greatest desire is what we accomplish whether it's good or bad. We know what James says, where sin begins. With the heart being drawn away and enticed. And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. Sin starts in the heart with desire. Remember Judah, who longed for his sister The Bible says that he longed so greatly for her, he could think of nothing else. He had an illicit desire. We also know when that was granted that the Bible says that he hated her and the hatred wherewith he hated her exceeded what was previously the love that he thought he had for her. Yes, desire. 
is what it starts with. If it's sin, yes, but also with godly things. It begins with desire. The Bible says, you will find me. God promises, you will find me. If you search for me with what? With all your heart. The promise of God to not only the seeking soul, but to his followers, brother and sisters, to us. We find him when we search with all our hearts. My friend outside of Christ, if you're struggling with the decision, or if you've made a decision and you can't follow through, or you're trying to follow through and it's just tough, you got to know this. It's got to be number one in your life. There can't be anything else. It can't be pleasing your parents, pleasing the church, doing what's expected. It's got to be your number one desire for your heart to find God. And if so, you've got God's promise. God's promises, the Bible says, are yea and amen. They're positive. They're yeses. God says yes. And they're amen, which means so be it, which means they're done. A future fulfillment of an existing promise in God's eyes is already done. Just because we haven't seen it does not mean that that promise is anything but kept. God keeps his promises. Remember that rich young ruler? He said, Master, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to be saved. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and so forth. And he said, well, I've kept them all from my youth up. What did Jesus say? One thing's needful. One thing is lacking. Go and sell all that you have. Come and follow me. And the Bible records that that rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful, for he had much goods. The one thing that was in his way was his goods. He wasn't willing to give up that one thing for the real one thing. Jesus doesn't ask us to give up all of our worldly goods. He might. He asked the, the rich young ruler. He might ask you to give up something else. Brother, sister, as we seek God, he asks us to give up things too. To get that list down to one item. Psalm 37, delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. The desires he gives when we delight ourselves in him. I have one deep, supreme desire that I may be like Jesus. To this, I fervently aspire that I may be like Jesus. What is your desire? In addition to 
desire I see in verse 4 that David said, One thing have I desired that I will seek after. Starts with desire. We move on to searching, to seeking. Now, it doesn't mean like we look for something that's lost, like the widow who lost a coin and searched the house, or the shepherd who who lost one of his sheep and went out looking. Searching and seeking for God is really the pursuit of him, the following of him. David knew the Lord. He wasn't seeking to find him. He was seeking to follow him. If our desire is there, we need to follow that up with pursuing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus said, Matthew 6, we know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. When he says, seek ye first, we always use that to, to counsel those who are outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Seek him first and he'll take care of the other things in your life. I accept that. That's valid. But that's not what the verse means. The verse means pursue. Seek him. It means above all continuously. And so we should read that verse instead of Instead of seek ye first, we should say, seek ye above all continuously the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Meaning every day, meaning in every pursuit, Jesus comes first. I dislike tremendously the notion that life is all about obtaining salvation and once you've got it, you're done. Once you've got that, you're just started. Eternal life begins when he grants us salvation. Scripture says that we have passed from death unto life. The Bible says there's no judgment, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have eternal life. It's our present promise and possession. And so, seeking Jesus is about following him. What did Jesus say? Seek and ye shall find. What does Hebrew say about faith? It says in there that Jesus is the rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. He rewards us when we follow, when we pursue him. So the question is, what are we Seeking. What's on our list? The list that has just one item. The last thing I see in Psalm 27 is in verse 11, where David says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Learn. Learn. When we think we know it all, is when we stop learning. For if we know it, we don't need to learn it. But when we know 
that we need to learn more than we pursue knowledge. And if we think we know it all, then we place ourselves above the apostle who wrote, the excellency of the knowledge is what I am pursuing. That I may know him. That I might be intimate with my Lord. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, teaching them, using everyday circumstances of life to teach them. And he taught them, and he teaches us, and he says to us, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn of me, he says. Learn about me, learn to know me, learn of me. An example in our lives, those of us who are married, we have and had a desire to be married. We sought the Lord's will. We sought a helpmate. And God gives that. And if we think when we are married, we know our spouses, then we're newlyweds. Because we find out that's why God gives us a lot of years together to learn about each other. Our spouses, let's face it, they're complicated. They have feelings that are different. They have different experiences. That's what's great. That's why we have a whole lifetime to enjoy. But it's a learning process. Too bad we can't stay home for a year like they did in the Old Testament. I would have loved to just lounge around the home for a year. We had a week off and then we we're back at work. And we're still learning about each other. And how great that is. And that's an example of our walk with the Lord. When we're saved, yes, we know Him. But only in the newlywed sense, only as a newborn believer. Only at the milk level, the babe level. And the Word exhorts us that we should desire sincere milk to grow. But then the Word says that we should leave the milk and go on to the meat. Leave the foundation, the principles, the doctrines of repentance. And let us move on to perfection. The Bible says we need to keep learning about our Lord. What did Jesus give as his great commission? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize them. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Teach him. You see, David, he had a desire. He wanted to seek the Lord. He was teachable. The question is, are we teachable? Or do we know it already? Is our heart teachable? Now, I would be remiss if I did not recognize the operation of God's mercy and grace in this whole thing. 
we sometimes feel like we need to muster up this desire. And then we need to seek, to follow, to pursue Jesus. And then we need to learn more and more. And we place that expectation upon ourselves. And wow, there's validity there. It is God's grace, God's gift to put the desire in our hearts. The scripture says he has set eternity in the hearts of men. The scripture says it is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. The scripture says it begins with the call of God. We don't call ourselves. He calls us. And God's grace gives us desire. It helps us follow. And it helps us learn. And it's a joint venture between us and God. Hand in hand as we pursue the things of his kingdom. Nowhere is this better said in my estimation than in Jeremiah. And in conclusion, I'd like to look at a few verses in the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah. Oh, there's so many good things in Jeremiah. But the one I want to look at is in Jeremiah 32, beginning with 38, reading through 41. The background is, of course, a prophecy to the Jews, Jerusalem specifically, about their restoration. Secondarily and larger about the restoration of the kingdom of the Jews. But beyond that, it's about God's kingdom in our hearts. It extends to us. And this is the promise of God in, in Jeremiah thirty-two, thirty-eight: They shall be my people. I will be their God. We are his people. He is our God. It's his promise. And God says, I will give them one heart. We need just one heart. And I will give them one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. He gives us the heart. He shows us the way. That's his grace. Verse 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. He will help keep us faithful. Look at verse 41. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. God, the almighty, perfect God, who could choose to ignore us and still be perfect, has decided He loves us and He will rejoice over us to do us good. And it says, and I will plant them in this land. In Jerusalem, yes. In Israel, yes. In heaven, yes. Assuredly, it says, in truth. And then he concludes it with one of the most staggering statements in the Bible. With my whole heart and with my whole soul. God promises things with his whole heart and with his whole soul. The good that he has for us. The protection. The carrying through through eternity, the promises of God, He will reward with His whole heart. Praise Him for that.
So, the question is, what's our desire? What do we seek after? What are we learning about? The question is, what is the one thing on the list by itself? Eternal God and our Heavenly Father, at this evening hour, at the start of yet another Eastern camp, Lord, once again we come before thy throne of grace to give thee thanks. For indeed, as we have gathered together ourselves from far and near, we have come with a desire to worship Thee and to praise Thee. Heavenly Father, we have been reminded at the onset of this evening that perhaps we have made a good choice by coming here this week, the entire week or the part thereof, but we have been also reminded that even a sheer desire to come and to be here round about thy word is a blessing and a mercy and a gift from thee, the living God. Heavenly Father, we thank thee so much for the theme, for the message tonight. For indeed, we hope and pray as we spend time together with thee first and foremost, and through thy word, and through thy spirit, and with one another, that we may learn more from thee and about thee. Heavenly Father, we are especially mindful of those that have not made that wise choice as our Lord Jesus pointed out about Mary, that she has chosen that one thing. We pray for them and we pray for us that indeed, Heavenly Father, this week would be used wisely, that thou wouldst encourage us, those that would preach and teach those that would converse and discuss topics that pertain to this one thing, and that is the eternity with thee, would truly be in a possession of a zeal and fire in their heart and mind that they would convey the message of importance but as we have been reminded, no one comes to the Father, to our Lord Jesus, except the Father calls him nigh. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank thee so much for what you have already heard this evening. We pray a special blessing upon those that will be continuing in this week to handle thy word. We pray a blessing upon all of us 
We pray, Heavenly Father, that we all may be encouraged through thy word. And that, indeed, there would be no fear, for fear brings torment. We ask these favors in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.